Uh, so I assume you saw the sermon title, Micah 6.8. Typically, the sermon title is not the actual verse. Uh, but at Timothy Christian this year, Micah 6.8 has been a theme verse. We're talking kindergarten through 12th grade. So I've been just doing a lot of thinking about Micah 6.8 this year. Interestingly, I remember the first time I heard Micah 6.8 growing up. I was in elementary school. It was a presidential election season, and somebody asked one of the candidates what his favorite Bible verse was. And he responded, Micah 6.8. And I heard the verse, I'm like, wow, that is good. This guy must be smart, because he found this really good verse in the middle of boring prophecy books of the Old Testament, and this is, like, wow. Now, this man went on to become president, and his name, oh, what, yes, I heard somebody, uh, Jimmy Carter, uh, and uh, his, his favorite verse, and uh, what a wonderful verse that it is, written thousands of years ago, but as we will look at this passage this evening, we will see that these ancient words have fresh relevance to our lives. And if we are to live our lives by Micah 6.8, we are free to sing and to soar in life the way God intended us to live. So let's uh, turn our attention to the scripture passage, and uh, we will read a number of verses before to put Micah 6.8 in context. So I'll begin reading at Micah 6, verse 1. Listen to what the Lord says. Stand up, plead your case before the mountains. Let the hills hear what you have to say. Hear, O mountains, the Lord's accusation. Listen, you everlasting foundations of the earth, for the Lord has a case against his people. He is lodging a charge against Israel. My people, what have I done to you? How have I burdened you? Answer me. I brought you up out of Egypt and redeemed you from the land of slavery. I sent Moses to lead you, also Aaron and Miriam. My people, remember what Balak, king of Moab, counseled, and what Balaam, son of Boor, answered. Remember your journey from Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has showed you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. The word of the Lord. Before we look at uh, Micah 6.8, let's consider for a moment just a little background. Uh, we've been plopped right down into the middle of an Old Testament prophet. 
So uh, Micah, interestingly, is not identified by family, but by location. And when you read in the Old Testament, everybody's identified by family, you know, the son of the son of. And even myself, if I introduce myself, I, hi, I'm Mac Wiener, I don't say hi, Mac of Elmhurst. Okay, we typically don't do this. Micah, interestingly, is Micah from Morasheth in uh, the beginning of the book. It does not identify his family. Uh, this city, this town, about 22 miles southwest of Jerusalem. He lived during the time of Judah, southern kingdom. So Israel was a united kingdom, of course, with, with Saul, but then the golden age of David and Solomon. But after Solomon, Israel split into two. And Micah, his words were spoken to Israel, northern kingdom, and Judah, southern kingdom. But he lived in the south, and he reigned during, or he prophesied during the reign of three kings. Jotham, a godly king. Ahaz, putting him down here, a wicked king who uh, encouraged idolatry. And then Hezekiah, a very godly king. Now here's what was going on during the time of Micah. So we have Jotham, right? First king, he was godly. His father was Uzziah. Now during the reigns of Uzziah and Jotham, Assyria was a growing empire, but not a threat yet. This created a time period of peace in Palestine. And during this peace, this allowed the economy to flourish. And business-minded people took advantage of the situation, and they grew wealthier. But having so much money or grain or property was not enough for them. So what they did is they took advantage of poorer people to increase their wealth even more. And so the poor people were not able to benefit from the uptick in the Judean economy. They, in fact, feared worse because the wealthy were taking advantage of them. And so Micah's main message was speaking to people saying, you think life is all good right now? It may not be so in the future. And so now is the time to repent and return to the Lord. And so in Micah 6, verse 1, we have this, shall we say, legal case that God brings before his people. And in verses 1 and 2, creation itself is called as the witnesses. Because, oh, the, the trees and the mountains, they've been around a long time, and metaphorically speaking, they've witnessed a lot. And so you can be the witnesses, creation. And verse 3, God questions his people. Fortunately, he does call them my people, still showing his concern and love for the Israelites. Verses 4 and 5, God wants to remind them he is not the one on trial, they are. Do not point an accusatory finger toward God. God is not unfair. God is the one who saved you from slavery from Egypt. Look at the past, Israelites. 
and see God's faithfulness. And then verses 6 and 7. Outward actions not based on inward character mean nothing. The prophet begins with burnt offerings, and then he says something that is just an exaggeration. You know, thousands, what does it say? Uh, 10,000 rivers of oil. Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams? Somebody walks into Faith Church tonight and says, here's a million bucks for the offering. Wow, what a spiritual person. Now, amen, accept it. Okay, this is good. Uh, However, when God looks, who cares about that religious deed if in here is not in the right place? So Micah 6.8, this all comes down to Micah 6.8 that says, look at your heart. That's where it begins. It begins in the heart, and then it works outward to your actions. So let's take a look at our hearts. The first heart attitude we are called, the people we're called to and we are called to, is to do justice. To do justice. Fairness or equity to those in a weaker social position. Fairness or equity to those in a weaker social position. God is just. He has given us as humans this sense of justice, although often, of course, twisted by sin. But we know we have this in our hearts. Whenever you are treated unjustly, you are ticked off. What is that? We have, ooh, life needs to be just. This idea of justice. Now, what about justice in Micah and the Bible? As I mentioned earlier, the wealthy were taking advantage of the poor. How did they do that? Well, they did that through corrupt business practices. They just weren't honest. Secondly, through injustice in the court system, pay off the judge. Or third, they took advantage through excessive taxes or interest that was charged, beyond reason, excessive. And this is how they would take advantage back in Micah's day. Now, Nehemiah comes a bit later in the Old Testament, near the end of of Old Testament history, Uh, but this passage in Nehemiah helps to illustrate what was happening back then. From Nehemiah 5, others were saying, we are mortgaging our fields and our vineyards and our homes to get grain, to merely survive during famine. Still others were saying, we have had to borrow money to pay the king's tax on our fields and vineyards. And then they would lose their fields and vineyards. Although we are the same flesh and blood as our fellow Jews, and although our children are as good as theirs, yet we have to subject our sons and daughters to slavery. So some of the things that happened back then. Now, uh, Nehemiah, of course, was a very just, godly man. And uh, Nehemiah, by contrast, uh, said, I nor my brothers ate the food allotted to the governor. But the early governors, those preceding me, placed a heavy burden on the people and took 40 shekels of silver from them in addition to food and wine. Their assistants lorded it over the people. But out of reverence for God, I did not act like that. 
justice and injustice in the Old Testament. So let's uh, bring this down to, to our day and, and justice. Um, all of us at one time or another have been treated, we could say, unfairly. It happens often in the home of the high school student. Parents are unfair. Uh, whether maybe they are, maybe they're not, you know, our just sense of justice can get mixed up at times. But uh, we all, in one way or another, have been treated unfairly in life. Uh, true injustice is not good. However, if we take this injustice from God's perspective, we can learn from it. And we can make sure that if we are in a similar situation down the road, we will be just because we remember, we know what it was like to be treated with injustice. I also think it's important for us to listen to people who have been treated unjustly. If we come across people, or even myself, I will at times read news articles written by people that have been treated unjustly and I learn from this. This helps me in this idea of doing justice because I, I understand it better and I can just have more compassion on a situation that I did not live through that I don't really understand. So this is uh, justice on a personal level. Now often when we think about justice, we think about the big issues in the world, the big justice issues. And what about those? Obviously, we cannot solve all the problems of this world. However, I have seen people, I've seen it in myself, Christians, that as they go through life, there are certain moments that God will burden their heart for a certain injustice. And this burden causes them to action, whether it is money or some other action, it, it causes them to action because they want justice in this. It happens in this congregation. There are people with a burden for the unborn, and this causes action for poverty in the world. And maybe it's not poverty the world, but it's poverty in this spot in the world. And God has called you to do justice and you're, you're, you're dealing with a big justice issue, but in a way that God can use you on a smaller level. So these big issues of justice, of, of, of poverty, of, of racism, of, of the sanctity or lack of sanctity of life, of human trafficking, we could go on. We should all be aware as we go through life and, and, and pray about this, how God burdens our heart for injustices, certain ones more than others, and how God is calling you to respond at a personal level. So that's big issues in the world. Um, in our daily life, everyday life, we need to simply think about our sphere of influence. Who are the people we're around just Sunday through Sunday, church and family and work and school and neighborhood and, and groups that we are involved in. 
And how is God calling us to be just in those situations? Uh, school, oh my, there's all sorts of, of examples there that you could see of, of justice and injustice that happens. Oh, I could go on with, with stories. Uh, just, uh, just one, a uh, number of years ago, we had an autistic boy that came through Timothy, and socially he, he was not there. And uh, so what does he do at lunchtime? You know, well, he just goes in the cafeteria and sits by himself at a table, you know, and actually that didn't bother him. He just, you know, just sat by himself. Well, over here was a table of uh, girls that looked at this, and they walked over, picked him up, and said, Matt, every day you sit with us. This is your seat every day. A simple, little, but powerful sense of doing justice in this world. When we talk about people behind their back and thus hurt their reputation, this is injustice. When we, when we make fun of someone because they are different or laugh at others that are laughing at that person because they're different, this is not doing justice. When we ignore certain people just ignore them in certain situations when we could reach out even in a small way. This is injustice. How is God calling his church, his people, you and I, to do justice on a daily basis? Do justice. Uh, second, love mercy. Or you could also translate this word love kindness. Okay, on a scale from 1 to 10, how would you rate your kindness? I will not pick on anyone, but I'm just, how kind are you? Okay, let me up the ante on a scale from 1 to 10. How kind are you to those that are unkind towards you? Okay, and one more. Well, this raises the stakes higher. Ready? On a scale from 1 to 10, how much do you enjoy being kind to the unkind? Love mercy, love kindness. And guess what? That's all I have to say about that point. Uh, if you invite me back again, uh, because this is a uh, Timothy Christian uh, thing, I did a chapel talk just on that. I'll do a sermon another time. So we move on to walk humbly, okay? All right. But still, please be kind, be merciful this week. Amen. Okay. Uh, walk humbly. Walk is your lifestyle. It's just how you live is your walk, right? And, and humbly, humbly, well, actually, it is a person that does justice and loves mercy and loves kindness. If you're living that out, well, you're, you're walking humbly. You see here in Micah, these, these people with money and influence were proudful. I want more for me. Therefore, they were not humble. Bible says here to walk humbly. No, no pride. Surrender to God. Your motto is, thy will be done. That is humility. Humility in the Bible uh, Micah prophesied during, I said, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. 
Now, Jotham had a father, Uzziah. Uzziah reigned for a long time. He was a godly king. But near the end of his reign, pride grew in his heart. And he went into the temple, and he was going to do a religious uh, ritual that only priests were supposed to do. The priests courageously confronted him and said, stop to the king. But in his pride, he said no, and he continued on with offering the censer before the Lord. And then as judgment, uh, he had leprosy and was kind of cast off. And this is how his son Jotham became kind of a co-regent during this time, an example of a lack of humility. Hezekiah, on the other hand, uh, there actually, interestingly, is one story about Hezekiah and, and, and uh, proudfulness, but on the whole, he was a very godly king. Um, Hezekiah, when Assyria came and surrounded Jerusalem uh, to attack, you had the world superpower at your doorstep. Uh, what did Hezekiah do first? When Hezekiah heard this, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, humbled himself, and went into the temple of the Lord. And he sent his palace administrator and secretary to the prophet Isaiah to bring Isaiah to the temple as well. When in trouble, his first response was not a battle plan, which they would have to do. His first response was to humble himself before God. And then with humility, of course, Jesus we understand a little. And as we grow in our walk with the Lord, we understand a bit more and more. But it is mind-boggling the humility of Jesus simply being born a human. It is incomprehensible that the Lord Jesus Christ submitted to suffering and death because thy will be done. The power of that humility and also the example to us to walk humbly before our God. Humility in our lives. God calls us to live a life that says, thy will be done, to surrender to God, and simply be humble. Many opportunities throughout the week in which we are called to simply show others should be more important than ourselves, walking humbly. I like what C.S. Lewis said, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself Less. I had to read that twice, so I will for you. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. I'm nothing. Okay, not less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. So what should our response be to this clarion call of godly living in Micah 6.8? To do justice. I mentioned Think about the big issues of life and how does God burden your heart. 
When my daughter was in fourth grade, she had an IS project, independent study project. And in this case, she was allowed to choose anything she wanted to study. So I don't know how she thought of this, but uh, she announced to my wife and I that she was going to study Compassion International. And so she did. And I kind of knew where this was headed. So she did her report. She had her poster and all of this. And uh, after she uh, did this project and the speech, she uh, came to my wife and I and said, can we support a child? Okay, now if there's ever a time I'm going to say yes to my daughter, it was then. I mean, you know. But here is this big issue in the world of so many people do not even have access to good education, Christian education, and, and medical attention. And so compassion comes in and helps raise up these children uh, so they have a better leg up in life. And, and so it's a big issue at a very small level. And so we uh, sponsor Nali Das from Bangladesh. Uh, her birthday and age was very similar uh, to Ellie's. So that's why we uh, sponsored her. Uh, years ago, I had a union job in a bread factory. This is a completely different example. So I'm working here, and uh, they hired this young man uh, who socially was not all together. And after talking to him, you could discern that he had some kind of learning disability. Now, in the context of, of the work, most of the guys that I worked with, they simply ignored him. They had no time for him. They didn't, they didn't mock him or laugh at him. They just ignored him. Um, I, on the other hand, I thought, you know what? This guy right now needs to feel like he's a part of this, this place of work. So I would engage him in conversation and, and talk to him and smile and go out of my way to say a kind word. And in a very small and yet important way, that was doing justice in the workplace. And then it happened, I don't know how this happened, but he got on the safety committee. So once he got on the safety committee, he nominated me for safety employee of the month. Yay, yay, there we go. I, that's not why I was kind to him, though, please, no. Um, and then walk humbly, walk humbly. A um, number of weeks ago, I did a, a, a message on uh, kind of the, the metaphor of the message was uh, my time at Rehoboth. And uh, when I was at Rehoboth uh, with Timothy students this past January, uh, one of the serve projects was to clean up a, uh, a Christian Reformed church there, an uh, Indian reservation. And uh, so we were cleaning up the church, and the pastor came, and uh, he was, it, it's a it was a tough go. Congregation, very small, and yet committed. And uh, he asked if some of the students could go and work in his house. And we had uh, students we needed to find work for them. Uh, sure. So I sent some students into, the, into his house. And uh, the children's bedrooms were just not just a mess, but disgustingly dirty. Yeah. And uh, these Timothy students that served in this particular project, my mind thought, how humble of them to be on their hands and knees, not just straightening a room, but cleaning just filth from this room, and they did it with a smile and joy. On the same trip, students 
uh, serve the homeless. And uh, it's very easy to be like, well, we've got our act together more than them. And on one level, yes, we do, but we talk uh, together. And the students realize this, that, do you know, I am dead in my sin, raised to life by Jesus Christ. It is by God's grace. And so I humbly serve other people that are struggling and help them with gladness. And, and there was great humility in this service as well. Additionally, when we are in trouble, in humility, like Hezekiah, we need to come before God and pray. And since we live on this side of the cross, we submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Micah 6.8, he has told you what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love mercy and kindness, and to walk, to live humbly before your God. Amen.